Good morning, Whitewater. Josh, you're always so kind. I love you, man. I'm, you know, you guys know we're not watching the Seahawks here right now, right? I am just, I am blown away. You guys are here. You're ready to roll. At Thanksgiving this week, this week, are you guys excited? Man, I'm, I get too pumped about it. Um, my stomach's already hurting. Um, this is a place you can belong before you believe, and that just is at the heart of Whitewater. It means you can explore faith and build relationships as, you ex- uh, as you're exploring the faith that might be yours or re-exploring faith. Um, one, of the, one of the most important aspects of belonging is actually belonging, building spiritual friendships and, and what we would call spiritual family. And uh, I, I want to show you a few examples of this. This last week we had a few groups, we have quite a few groups, but we got a picture of a few that did um, Friendsgiving. And uh, it was awesome. Uh, there's my neighbor John, he's awesome. Ty, my wife, oh, my daughter with her new glasses in the background, but we like to do things around food, especially Ben. You can see he's kind of like about to eat his food. Um, but we have just such an, it's so amazing when people come together around food, around their faith. Uh, friendships are just developed there. This is uh, Brandon and Abby Wenzel's house. They fit like, I think, 30 people or close to 30 people in there around their power table. I hear, I hear it was amazing. Um, food, friendship, Christians call it fellowship. But I just, I just want to emphasize how important it is, especially in the holidays. I want to encourage you, don't do the holidays alone. Um, we want you to build uh, friendships and spiritual family that, that help you. I don't worry about people who are in a spiritual family, whether it's a community group or a serve team that, that do life together, like serving together on Sunday, but they, they care about each other and build relationships. You know, I, I, don't, I don't worry about those people as much as the ones who aren't connected to spiritual family. It, because it's not a question of if you'll go through hardship, like the storms, uh, you know, of, of life or the storms on the interior of our life. It's a question of when. And so I just want to encourage you to take a step and, and get, get involved, get connected with a friendship and a spiritual family. There's a table called Group Up just outside here, and they can get you information on how to get connected. Uh, with that said, we're just going to jump in today. Uh, I wanted to kind of g- give you a little framework for today's talk. Um, today is it's 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 going to be a heavy um, topic, but a really really important one. Um, Jesus said this. He said, "I have come that they might have life and have it to the full." And so Jesus was here to help people see how to live, how to have a vision for a, a life in the kingdom of God uh, or, or the goodness of God. Um, he, he came to restore the whole person, not just you know, part of somebody, not just the intellectual part, not just the emotional, but the whole person, mind, body, soul, relationships, all that stuff. And, um, and today we're going to be looking at, at particularly at um, me, uh, spiritual and mental uh, health and unhealth. And we live in a world that's really impacted by that. Uh, I was planning on giving this sermon uh, about Jesus' compassion for spiritual and mental brokenness um, in, in a few weeks, but we, we moved it to this week. Um, I, just felt, um, I just felt God's Spirit just put it on my heart to do that. Um, there's a pastor at Soma Church in Tacoma uh, who took his life last week, and there's a whole community grieving. And then on the last uh, week, um, in the same week I found out about the Soma's pastor, we, we, I ministered to two families that, that were impacted by attempts or ideation around um, suicide, around taking of, of someone's own life. And I just felt this is so important. So um, 
we're going we're gonna to approach this, I, I hope, biblically. I, I want to make sure that we're, we're a family and we speak love and grace and we're able to have fun, but we also can speak the truth. So are you guys willing to go there today and, and, and be truthful with one another? Because I, I believe the, the, the ministry of Jesus was all about, he was a preacher, he was a teacher, and he was a healer. And the reason that hospitals were invented were because of the church. There were people following in the way of Jesus, and they, they created hospitals, health care for, for everyone. And there were uh, schools, public education came out of um, Christians following in the way of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so I, I just want us to talk about something I think is very important and know that we can talk about this and remove some of the stigma around it. So if you want to, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. Um, we're going to look through verses 1 uh, through 20, and we're going to be looking at a man who is, who is really uh, afflicted by both spiritual darkness and mental health um, and brokenness. And um, it doesn't, spiritual brokenness and spiritual darkness uh, aren't, isn't the same thing as mental health issues. They can affect each other, but I want to be clear at the outset um, that they're not the, the exact same thing. And we don't want to confuse those things, but they do impact each other, as you can imagine. And, um, and there's a child that's like, he's like, I want mama so bad. Um, hopefully it's not my son. Um, pastor's kids. But that's what we're going we're gonna to jump into. Um, and uh, so let me just say a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Father, would you just... Bless this time together. Help, help us to open our hearts and to be truthful with one another, honest together, but gracious God. Help, help us as a church to grow as a place of healing and safety and wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, it says this, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. In the region of Gerasenes, this is the Lake of Galilee, really big lake. Um, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. So here's kind of the setting. Jesus and his, um, his crew, his disciples, have been out on the ocean, uh, or it's known as the Sea of Galilee, but it's a big lake. And they were fishermen and they were sailors. And in the middle of their journey, they got hit by a huge storm. Such a bad storm that they freaked out. These guys who their whole life, they've been on the water. They're veterans. They, are, they're, uh, they're, they know the water. And they freak out and start um, asking Jesus for help, and he calms the, the storm. And so what happens they, when they move out of that storm, uh, in the story, I, want, I think it's important that we know that Jesus is taking his disciples on a journey where they experience discipleship through an exterior storm, and then they, they go to a, a new place, and immediately they get confronted with a man who's having a, an interior storm. A storm of spiritual and mental brokenness. And, and I think we can learn a lot uh, from Jesus and from this story on how we address these issues. If I, um, let's see, Scott or maybe Evan, could you bring me a glass of water? Um, my, I'm, I apologize for my voice. It's been going out today. Um, but here we are. This man comes running up to him. It says, from the tombs, and he's possessed by an evil spirit. I can just imagine some of the disciples who have been like, you know, getting all the gear out of the boat, and they're like, let's go do ministry. And then all of a sudden, they see this guy yeah, running up at them, demon-possessed. Um, oh, my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> it's my brother. We have kind of brother language. It's very normal for us. Well-timed, my friend. And we... Uh, 
I can imagine the, the, the disciples, you know, as they step out and, and he's running, not from a home, not just from a road, but from like the graveyard. You can just see the disciples going like, like the, this is like Stephen King more than the Bible. This like is freaky. They're like, Jesus, let's get back in the boat. We can handle the external storms. We can handle the, you know, we're fishermen. We can handle that. I don't want to deal with this. Let's, let's go. Get back in the boat. And Jesus won't get back in the boat until he helps this man. Now let's keep going. Verse 3, this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. Just so you know, in Middle Eastern culture, a lot of like outcasts or people um, uh, that might be struggling or from a certain um, social standing live in um, burial mounds or cemeteries. Even today, I learned this from Ray Baki that that, um, in Egypt, there's still uh, people who will live in, you know, cemeteries. And so this man has been ostracized. He's from out, he's the outside of, of culture. And he's living in, the, uh, in a cemetery. And it says this about him. Um, pay attention here. He, was, he lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. Like people had tried to restrain him, but could no longer do that. Even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains or shackles, as often as he was, he uh, snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. I mean, that's strength. So here comes this, this guy um, that has uh, like a crazy amount of strength. He's not in his right mind. And, um, and people have tried to restrain him to no avail. And then it says this. So we know that there's some spiritual stuff going on. No one was strong enough to subdue him. There's like this, like this evil empowerment um, for him to do harm and do wrong. And, and then we notice this as well. In verse 5, it says, Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills. He's not sleeping. Uh, and it says he's howling and cutting himself with sharp, sharp stones. Uh, would you agree that this is a man in a tremendous amount of mental um, and interior anguish? And I think, I think that we, we're seeing here someone who's bringing self-harm, hurting himself, cutting himself, He's tormented, he's in anguish, and I think there's spiritual darkness, and I think there's mental illness going on. Like, he's not mentally himself. Now, this man, just out out of his mind, runs up to Jesus. Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw Jesus and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed. Let me stop there for a second. With a shriek, he screamed. Have you ever heard uh, a grown-up male shriek scream? Anybody ever heard that? Okay, a few of you guys. It's terrifying, isn't it? It's like, it's the most terrifying thing. Um, my, my kids experienced it the other day when, we played, um, hide and, when I played hide-and-seek with them. I went and hid in the, in the bathroom, and I hid behind like, the, the uh, shower curtain. And my, my wife had gone and hidden, and my two kids came looking for us. My daughter's six, my son's two. So they were, they were looking for us, and they found mom, because she hid in a super easy spot, you know, like right out in the open in the kitchen, just like, hey guys, okay, I'm done. And then they went and looked for me. They were walking down the corridor, and I had shut the door, I turned the light off in the bathroom, and like the novella finally opened the bathroom door. It was like, had this like thing that Sarah's been wanting me to fix, but I don't want to because I need it for the scariness of the kids. And so, <clears throat> open the door and they're like, Arr! and then Novella sees it's dark in there. Dad, are you in there? Dad. And she flicks on the light immediately. Dad. And she starts going toward 
the shower curtain and Wes is behind her, behind her and he's kind of oblivious, dad, 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 dad. And then she slowly pulls back the shower curtain. I can tell she doesn't even want to, she's like, dad, if you're back there, let me know if you're back there. Tell me, tell me. And I kind of was standing, you know, far back from it. And Wes is like, yeah, dad, he's like all happy. And then she, as she almost pulled it to see me, I was like, yeah, and I can't do it because my voice is bad. I was like, yeah, I'm like my brother. And my daughter just goes, just rigid. And she can't move. And then my, my son goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> just totally backs up and runs, mama. Sarah was pretty mad at me. <laughs> it, was, it was worth it, though. Um, we had to do some healing as a family afterwards, but I'm not recommending this, I guess I'm saying. It's just family. So a grown man shrieks and screams... I can't do it because my voice, but whoa. he yells, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So he recognizes Jesus as the son of the most high God, recognizes his authority, and, and, but at the same time begs Jesus not to torture him. And what, if, what is this demon at this point, what we know of the spirit, what has he been doing to this man? Tormenting him. And so he's afraid of being tormented like he's tormenting this man. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And I imagine in this scenario, the shrieking man all of a sudden gets real quiet, real low. And in this demonic voice just quietly says, my name is Legion. I mean, chills just go on my spine reading that right now. Anybody else out there? You're like, I didn't know this was Stephen King Day. You're like, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. A legion was a troop of 5,000 Roman soldiers saying there's a war of 5,000 troops inside me. You can see the disciples saying, Jesus, remember when we said get back to the boat? Get back to the boat. You know, there's a few of the disciples like, we can do this another day. And Jesus will not get back in the boat before he helps this guy. I love that about Jesus. Um, I love that he sees this man is in spiritual anguish. He sees that this man has been isolated from his community, his loved ones, his family. If he had kids, hadn't been, he's not in his right mind. He's spiritually, emotionally, and he's mentally um, unhealthy, unwell. And there's, there's a demonic element here. Then the evil spirits begged Jesus again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And that tells us that this isn't a Jewish community. This is a non-Jewish, like Gentile would be the term, non-Jewish community because they had pigs. And there's a huge herd of pigs. Um, And he says, send those. uh, There happened to be a large uh, herd of pigs near the hillside. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged, plural. Legion, let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in water. A few important things here before I keep moving on. Uh, One is this is like a whole year's supply of food for this community running into the ocean or into the Sea of Galilee. That's a big deal for a community. This whole herd goes there. It's making an economic and social impact on this community. Would you agree? The work of Jesus bringing light into darkness. 
Um, the other thing is, the worst a legion of demons in one man could do was be cast into the, into the sea by Jesus. Sometimes we like talk about spiritual warfare and darkness and the demonic and, and we get really, really scared. But people who are followers of Jesus, we don't have to be scared of that. The worst a legion could do was, was throw themselves at the mercy of Jesus and he throws them into some pigs. It wasn't even hard for him. And I don't want us to miss that in this story. But if we were to move forward and, and we're gonna move into, I wanna focus on mental health and unhealth primarily, but I, I wanted to make a few of those observations spiritually. In verse 14, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town, so the herdsmen of the pigs ran to town and the surrounding countryside, and they spread the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. Crowds soon, get, you know, like, I heard there's demons that went into the pigs. Like, you know, you'd, you'd kind of be like, that's terrifying, but I want to go see, see it. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. They saw the man that they had tried to restrain with chains. They saw the man who was wounded by his self-harm. They saw the man that had been out of his mind and out of his heart. And uh, I think this is so interesting. And they saw him who had been filled with a legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, and you'd think they'd be like, wow, look at what Jesus did. We've been praying for this. It says they were all afraid. And then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed uh, man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. You see, and I don't think our world is so different from this world of Jesus. I think in our society, like in this society, there are stigmas around spiritual darkness and, as, and especially around mental brokenness and illness. Would you agree? This village, it, like that, a man has been set free from the kingdom of darkness. He's been put back into his right mind and he's been healed, he's been helped. He's, he's whole again. And, and the community is more afraid of Jesus than they were of a man who was possessed by a legion of demons, a man who they couldn't restrain and they had problems with. They were more upset with Jesus for healing him than they were that, the, that, the, that Jesus had actually done something they couldn't. And I think it just goes to show that there's something in our world that wants to run, have a blind spot to, be in denial of some of the darkest, hardest issues facing the human heart in our culture, in our society. We don't want to talk about the people who are struggling, who are living in, you know, in our day and age in the tombs, or living in, on the streets, and living in, in, in the, our world with total mental brokenness, and possibly, and, and even sometimes likely, spiritual darkness in their life. Again, those aren't always the same, but this is going, we don't want to talk about it. And I think it even bleeds into the church where we don't, we don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about other things. We'll talk about, you know, the good things going on. We'll talk about some other more comfortable sins that we might have, but especially other people might have. And we don't want to talk about this stuff. But Jesus isn't afraid of that. He doesn't even, he's not even afraid to offend the, the society's sensibilities. He sees a broken man and he helps him. He doesn't run to the boat. He's not afraid of the society. He's not afraid of the villagers, what they're thinking. He helps this man. 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, thank you so much, Mike. I'm glad you didn't come up shrieking. <laughs> my dad, I, my dad's a pastor. He pastors up at Bethany, and someone told me, they're like, oh, my, my dad told me that your, your dad was preaching, and I was like, what is he preaching on? They're like, I don't know, but he talked about Baby Yoda from The Mandalorian. And, and I was like, that, I'm not talking about that today. Um, Ours is a little bit different sermon today. But um, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And so the man started off to visit the uh, the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. I think it's so amazing that even in this man's brokenness, darkness, mental mental, uh, illness and episode that he's having in front of Jesus, there was enough of a moment of clarity for him to run to Jesus and Jesus had the power to heal him. And I, 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 I would be remiss to say that the we are a church that stands because of and we stand with and in the power of Jesus Christ. The power that's in his teaching, the power that was in his actions and his demonstration of love, and the power that was in uh, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, the power of, G- of God's spirit. And that power that was at work in Jesus is the same power that's at work today. But I want to talk uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that um, I hope is nuanced. It's not just overly simpli- uh, simplistic. Um, and so what I'd like to do, I, just talk, I want to talk about a more holistic understanding of Jesus and the gospel, a holistic understanding of healing. And I want to, I want to talk um, even a little bit about some, I think, misconceptions and some warped theology that can seep into the church. And then I basically want to talk to you if you might be someone who's sitting here today and you're like, yeah, I'm, I can relate to the man in the tombs. I've had spiritual, I've had mental health issues, mental unhealth in my life. I want to speak to you if you're like the disciples or you're like a family member who's been affected by a friend or family member who struggles with these things. And then I want to speak to you as a church. So let's talk about a holistic approach. Um, Many times the church can, I think, sometimes oversimplify the answer because we oversimplify the problem. And let me give you uh, some examples of this. Um, Sometimes people are told by the church or society, well, the reason you're struggling with that issue is because you're weak. It's because you're weak. And, you know, when I hear stuff like that, it's so, like, hurtful, frustrating, Frustrating is maybe the best word, nicest word. Because it's like, well, yeah, all of us are weak. Who here doesn't have an issue? Does anybody here not, you know, like how many of you guys have issues in your life? We all got issues, right? Anybody that doesn't? Maybe one person. We can have you stand up and I'll actually start teaching on, the, uh, on denial. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we all struggle, Right? And was Jesus weak when, when he was sweating blood in worry and anxiety before going to the cross? Was, was Jesus weak? Was he weak when he let himself get nailed to a cross? No. Jesus is the wounded healer. And it's by his wounds that we're healed. 
and he can empathize with it. It's not because we're weak. And, and just putting that, oh, it's because you're weak. Like, you don't know someone's story. You don't know the, the body chemistry someone's dealing with. And sure, we can all have weaknesses, but like to pin it on this one thing, it's not only unhelpful, it's unfair. Um, the other thing, uh, and th- this is, I didn't mention this in the last sermon, but it, it seems so obvious to me, but there's some branches of theology that say if you name this thing, you can claim it, kind of a health and wealth, like it's the God, following Jesus, if, you've, if you're really a good follower, only good things will happen to you. And, you know, I, I don't even feel like I should have to address that, but since there, are, there, there is that thinking in the world, I'll, I'll just address it this way. Uh, when Jesus came into the world, the way he lived is the way we learn to live. We are Christians. That means Christ followers. Little Jesus is like, we're not Jesus, but we're learning to be like him. And the, the story of Jesus is not that he lived and that he kept living. He died on a cross. He experienced brokenness. He experienced the absorption of sin and evil and sickness. He went through the highs and lows of the life that we went through. And he died on a cross and then he was raised back to life. And we who follow Jesus follow in the way of Jesus, meaning that we will go through brokenness. Not all of us are going to be on a cross like Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But we will fundamentally go through the brokenness of this world. So it's not all just health and wealth. There's brokenness in, mid, in the midst of blessing. And there's blessing in the midst of brokenness. Amen? All right, this, here's the other misnomer or false belief in theology that I think needs to, needs to be put in context. Uh, and here's one. Um, if you believe the truth of the gospel more, you'll be, you would be free and healed. Like if you just really believed in the truth of God and the gospel of, uh, of Jesus, then you would really be free. Like if you just believe that truth more and harder, you would be healed. And really that's kind of a, re, uh, I'll get technical language here, but that's a reformed theological version of the health and wealth gospel, which most reform Christians despise. But we all have our own forms of brokenness even within our theology. So hang with me here. We say that if you just believe this truth, you would be healed. That's no different than saying name it and claim it. There's a larger context. Does the truth help? Yes. Does Jesus teach uh, the truth will set you free? Yes. And in the right context, for sure, like believing the truth helps us. It helps us rather than believing lies or distortions. But um, let me put it to you this way. I had a counselor friend help me um, with this. Um, imagine yourself, like, or think of yourself at the most anxious you've ever been in your life. At the worst moment when you had the most adrenaline going through your body, and your mind's racing, your heart's racing. The worst, most anxious, worried moment you've ever been in. And then imagine having someone come to you and say, hey, you know what your problem is? You know how to fix it? This is what will fix it. If you just believe the truths of this IKEA instruction manual and you took those truths and you applied them in your life and built this IKEA sofa, right now you would be totally healed and fixed. What does a person who's got high anxiety, high adrenaline, high worry, What do they do when you tell them all you need to do is believe these right things, these right truths, and put this all together? It gives them more anxiety, right? Like, and you can't even think, if you've got anxiety, you can't, you're not even thinking clearly. So if we just come at people with these like truth bombs, and if you just believe this, it would solve all your issues, it not only denies like the life of Jesus, like he, do you think he believed the right truths about God? But he seemed to go through some hard times, didn't he? And we have to be more empathetic and compassionate and have a wider, more holistic understanding of the gospel. 
And so when we look biblically, friends, I'm challenging my faith community, my background, um, and even my personality, because we all have like that one thing that we're like, this will fix it, right? And we're like, oh, that person's thing, that's not just going to fix it, my thing will fix it. And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. When we look at the Bible, the Bible gives us a picture of multiple models, a holistic approach. Healing happens through, um, in the Bible through meds and even therapy. Well, like vulnerability and honest conversations, we would call that therapy. Jesus, when he talked with Nicodemus or when he talked with different people, like we would call that therapy. And we, we even have the apostle Paul in the New Testament, uh, you know, prescribing like some wine as medication for uh, a disciple of his. And so the Bible isn't like anti-medication. And sometimes Christians can be like, no, it's only Bible and only truth and medication's evil. And um, I, I just got to say that's crazy to me and it's unhelpful um, to people who are really hurting going through mental uh, illness to hear that. Um, because, and here's why. Like, it's like half-truths that we're giving each other. Um, if someone's got a gaping wound and a gaping wound, they're bleeding, um, being like, here's a Bible, um, you, you need a Bible to heal that, is not very helpful in that moment when they need a Band-Aid or they need stitches or whatever. It's also not helpful if someone's like on an interior wound spiritually and they're hurting on the inside to be like, here's a Band-Aid. In that case, there's some deeper discipleship and some Bible and some things that might be helpful, right? So both can be helpful. You gotta use the right tool in the right situation. There, someone could be struggling with demonic oppression. The Bible teaches that. And uh, if, we, if we just give them medication, it's not gonna deal with that issue. We have to learn to be wise. And I think what Jesus shows us is that we need a holistic understanding of the human person and a holistic understanding of the gospel. The whole gospel for the whole person, amen? Sometimes we see in the Bible, there's healing that comes through community, love, and acceptance. Healing through the supernatural power of God, like in this scenario where Jesus cast the demons into the pigs. Healing through time and process. And sometimes it's not just like a moment like this guy where he's healed and whole. Sometimes it's medication and process and therapy, combination of these things that people find freedom and healing. And sometimes they don't find full healing. And theirs is a, a faith of perseverance, mentally, throughout their whole life, persevering, needing people that don't just come up to them saying, hey, it's because you're weak, or hey, if you just believe this truth about the Bible, and hey, if you, like, no, they need more help to persevere through a lifelong struggle. And it's only going to be on the other side of, of heaven that they're fully freed. And we look forward to that. Even on this planet, this too shall pass. But we need to be able to give hope that's holistic. Healing through process and perseverance. Healing that looks toward eternal life with Jesus. Jesus said, I came that they would have life and life to the full. So I want to talk about the holistic approach. And what I want to do is I want to draw out five, I think, truths that Jesus brings out in the most loving, incredible way in the passage that we just read. And these truths attack lies and deceptions we'll believe or maybe negative messaging that we'll believe. I, w- I want to just go through these quickly and then I want to speak to the heart and I want to speak to you as the, as the church. So the first thing, if you remember, all these people were afraid. In verse 15 and 16, they said, Jesus, go away. We're terrified. And Jesus won't get in the boat 
until he helps. And uh, the first lie that we can start believing when we're not having mental clarity, and sometimes people can be in a mental health fog, is that they're not worthy of love. And they can begin to hate themselves. And I imagine this man who's broken and split from the inside out, who's hurting himself, has struggled. I'd be my... I would be willing to bet that he struggled with hating himself and feeling worthy of love. And the first truth is, you are loved. You are loved. Before you ever did anything for God, before you earned it, you can't earn it, he loves you. And Jesus demonstrated, he won't go get back in the boat because I love this guy. You're loved. Your illness is not your identity. Jesus sees beyond the illness and he sees the identity. He sees a man in need of help. He wouldn't get back in the boat. Jesus loves every person. There are no throwaway people. And you remember like this is like a whole herd of pigs have been, you know, cast into this, into the Sea of Galilee. That's a whole like year, year's worth most likely of food for this community. What is that telling us? That God doesn't care about like the, the economy and social sphere? What I think it's saying is I think it's telling us that one tormented person is worth more than a nation's annual food supply. The Christian value of human life is so, so deep in the way of Jesus. Like that the many can help the few. The many should help the few. Verse 18, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but, in, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Go tell your story. There's a purpose for your life. And, and the, here's the this, this second thing. We can often begin believing that, like, I don't belong and I don't fit in. Jesus, I'm going to go with you. You're the only one who accepted me and I'm, I've embarrassed myself. And, like, all these people have seen me, like, naked. <laughs> That's this guy's story, right? And they know every horrible thing about me. And I've probably done terrible things that I didn't even know I did. I can't even face that. And I don't belong there. And Jesus says, no, go home to your family. Your loved ones who love you can now be with you. You have a home. You belong. That's the second truth. You belong. People, you have to remember, sometimes people, they, they often fear what they don't understand. His village and his society, his culture, were afraid of him. They want Jesus to leave. They don't know what to do. And sometimes people are just jerks because, well, hurt people hurt people. You guys know that. Sometimes we want to be mad and we want to, you know, like write people off and be angry with people. But we have to remember that sometimes people don't know how to help or act or behave around us when we're struggling, when there's mental illness involved. They don't know how to handle it because they just don't know. And getting angry at them and, and letting, letting a wall come up between you and others isn't going to help anything. And sometimes we just need to be patient and find our family. Find, finding your family, putting your focus on finding people you trust, a spiritual family that you can be open with when you're struggling with, with mental health, when you're struggling with, with um, what might for you just feel like your soul and your sanity. Find people you trust that you belong to. I remember when my father-in-law Stan had a stroke, he lost 
a lot of the capacity in the right, right hemisphere of his brain. And um, that happened, I mean, there were seasons where he went through anxiety and, and um, I would even say depression. And his brain chemistry was changed. And when that happened, like, he, he went through this catastrophic event. It changed who he was. It changed the trajectory of, of what he was hoping his life would be and do in the next season. And it was, it was shocking for the family to see some of the friends that didn't show up, if I'm being honest. Friends that, like, didn't know how to deal, didn't know how to help, didn't know, and it was awkward for him and didn't show up, like, when he needed him most, when our family needed him most. It was also shocking who did show up. It was shocking, I think, in a most wonderful way, the people who showed up and just were there. Not all of them were Christians. Not all of them were people that he knew even that well, but they loved him. They didn't, they didn't let the stigma keep them from, from him. So sometimes we just need to look beyond, be patient with those who don't get it, and look for your family. So the man started off to, the, to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. Here's the third, the third struggle and the third truth. Is that, that like I don't matter. Like my life doesn't have meaning. And I think, one of the, I think one of the evil ones, we would call them Satan or demonic, spiritual warfare. Those who follow Jesus, like Jesus taught that. And I think one of the schemes of the enemy that steals the heart out of people is taking away their purpose, taking away the meaning in their, in their life, like taking away their why. Have you ever seen somebody that's lost their purpose? You have a purpose, is the third thing. You have a purpose. Your story matters. God never wastes your pain. He never wastes a hurt. God often uses our deepest hurts and our deepest, uh, in our, the deepest places of our lives um, to be our greatest area of ministry. And people who struggle with mental health and unhealth and illness, they, they become some of the most compassionate, wounded healers you will ever see for others who struggle with similar things. They know what they're feeling. They know what they're thinking. They understand it. They understand the world and the hurt and the ache. And your story matters. You have a purpose. Don't believe the lie that you don't. Um, And the most interesting thing is the man doesn't take, Jesus doesn't take this man out of the world he came from. He sends him back. The whole reason we're doing this series called Called to Compassion is the reality that you and I have a purpose, you and I have a calling, and God doesn't want to just pull us out of the world and to condemn the world. He wants to have compassion and send us back into it. And he sends a man who is broken, who's embarrassed, who's all, like every reason to leave, to go change his world with his story. Your story matters, amen? Number four, I feel useless. There's not much I can do. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not this enough. And number four, the truth is you are needed. You are needed. Like this man's culture and society needed him to go and remove the stigma and share the story. Remove the stigma and share the story, amen? Like they, he had a whole society, there are other people who are hurting and broken and the hope of Jesus is breaking into their world and the kingdom of light is touched down in the garrisons with this man who lived in a cemetery and, and if one man could be healed by one man and get rid of 5,000 demons, what could, what could Jesus do and the power of God do throughout these, you know, these 10 cities? 
Here's the last thing. Sometimes people will just give up. And they'll think like, why keep fighting? Why keep going through this pain? Why keep going through this cycle? Why do this? Like, it's inevitable. It's been, like, I can't change it. There's nothing I can do. I don't have a choice. And the fifth and final truth in this story that I see is you have a choice. You have a choice. It's not been determined. This man had enough of a moment of clarity and all of the madness and the hurt and the anguish and the torture he's going through and he, and he went to Jesus. He went to Jesus. And his healing began. You have a choice. Choose life. Choose it over and over and over. When it feels inevitable, when it feels like you, you can't do anything about it, choose life. Suicide. And I, I, friends, I want to talk about something very real. And I understand maybe you have kids that you might want to take out for this portion. But I want to talk about the will to live. And suicide is a permanent action to a temporary problem. Let me read that again. Suicide is a permanent action to a temporary problem. Never make a permanent choice around a temporary feeling. Waves of emotion come. Emotions are like waves. They come in and then they go. And the way you feel right now is not how you're going to feel in an hour. It's not how you're going to feel in a day. It's not how you're going to feel in a week. And don't make a permanent decision around a temporary problem. Every year, over one, one million people die around the world by taking their own life. In America, over 40,000 people a year take their own lives. That's double the murder rate in America. Like, that's double the murder rate in America. Um, Among young adults, suicide is the number one cause of of death. It's the number one killer. Ages 15 to 24-ish, that, that, that age group are just, are just being devastated with the will to live. One, in Washington State, one in three kids experience a depressive episode in that age range I mentioned, 15 to 24. We're, we, have, we live in a society that doesn't know what to do. They don't know what to do with this. Um, and I want to encourage you with a few things. If you are struggling yourself with the will to live, you've had thoughts or ideation of suicide, call today. Call this line, suicide prevention. It's on your notes. We have resources in the back, but it's on the, on the screen behind me, 1-800-273-8255. There's another line for Pierce County, crisis line, that can, that can help with other crises as well, but call today. The second thing is if you're having ideation around that, um, tell somebody you trust today. Tell somebody you trust today. You're not meant to handle this on your own. When you share a joy, how many, have you ever noticed that when you share a joy with someone, it doubles that joy in your life? But when you share your pain with someone, it cuts that pain in half. You're not meant to do this on your own. Tell somebody. The church has historically been the originator of hospitals and schools. We want to continue being a place of healing. And I want to speak to friends and family, like this man in the story, like he had friends and family who were just, 
had to deal with this and were devastated by this. Um, but I want to tell you, because of Jesus, because of him ripping down like these barriers and being a healer, you don't have to let your loved ones live in the graveyard of hopelessness on their own. And so I just want to give you three quick, quick ways of helping. And I'm not saying you have to be a trained professional, you don't but you can help in some way. Jesus would not get up back in the boat. when it's. E- I'm sure the disciples wanted to jump back in there and leave because this is hard. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm not trained. I've got- Jesus wouldn't get in the boat until he helped. So here's three simple steps to help. Empathy, love, and courage. Empathy, love, and courage. We all, here's the, the, the with empathy, we have to realize we all have mental unhealth like mental unhealth is on a spectrum we all have anxieties depressions uh, unwanted repetitive thoughts there's people who have postpartum uh, phobias tics like how many of you guys got issues we all got issues we all got issues it's not like we're healed and they're not or we're the we're the people or who have no issues and they do it like us versus them it's a we thing and we got to make it a we thing because when we, it's a we thing, like we all struggle with some, some stuff, some more severe, some less, then we're all in the same boat and we can have empathy with each other. We can feel their pain, amen? Number two is love and commit to remove the stigma around uh, mental health and m- mental unhealth. Remove, committing to removing the stigma around that. Don't be afraid like the town. Don't try to jump back in the boat um, actually stand with Jesus and try to help like Jesus. You don't have to be a trained professional, but, but, but here's the thing in our culture, like there's no stigma in our culture if someone's taking like heart medicine for their heart. There's no um, stigma if someone's taking like lung medication because the organs of their lungs aren't working. There's no like stigma around like liver disease and someone's taking medication for that. Why is there a stigma if someone's taking medication for another organ called their brain? We need to remove that stigma, friends. Just get, get it out of there. And the, it starts with the church, doesn't it? Do you know that the, what's the, the first place people go, the most common place, statistically, people go for help, to reach out for help with mental illness, is the church. It's the church. Because instinctively, deep down in our hearts, we know that Jesus was a healer. And we know that we need healing. Um, So remove the stigma. When people have mental pain, it causes social shame, which causes more mental pain, which causes more social pain. Healing social shame will help heal mental pain. Amen? And it's not a sin to be sick. Let me say that again. It is not a sin to be sick. The unforgivable sin is not suicide. It's refusing to receive the grace of God. It's not a sin to be sick. Third one is courage. Take initiative to reach out and help. We all have people in our life and we're like, well, what do I do? How do I help? Just reach out and say, hey, I care about you. You can write this down. I care about you. You haven't seemed yourself. How can I help? And for those who have experienced loss, my family has experienced loss through suicide, loss of will to live. I'm just, I'm so sorry, like, and I want you to know 
that Jesus knows what you're going through. He lost people. He lost a person to suicide. His name was Judas. Betrayed him, hurt him, and then he took his own life. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone who loses the will to live. And I think that's, to me, that's a comfort that the Savior understands our pain. Amen? So, let me finish with this. If you yourself or, your friend, or you have friends who are struggling with mental health and, and the will to live or any one of these, the spectrum of mental illness, we have a table in the back today by the stairs with somebody who's manning that and he's got resources, counselors, they've got uh, emergency resources and numbers to contact um, that you can call today and get help today if that's you. And go back there and receive that help. Just grab it for somebody or yourself or whatever it might be. We have people that are here to pray with you and for you. And if you're even scared to receive prayer today, but you want help or, and you want resources and, and you, or you forget, like we've got the connect cards, write it on there. Right? Tell us what you want and what you need. We want to help. The church is a hospital. And I'll end with this. I know my, this is a little bit longer of a sermon today, so thank you guys for hanging with me, but I just think it's so important. Do you agree? Our world is, that people are, are literally dying because of the stigma. They're trapped. Let's free them. Jesus said, I came to bring life. The life he, bring, he brought was known as shalom, right relationship, wholeness with God, with others, with the world, and within yourself. We're a church based on shalom. That's why we, we want you to belong. We want you to believe. We want you to become who you're born to be. We want you to become a blessing and have purpose. We want you to help others and bring them into a flourishing life with God. And so everything we do here is to help people say yes to life and know the life that Jesus offers. And Jesus is the hope. He was the teacher and he was the example of a flourishing life with God. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Would you take this time together this Lord I don't even know if this is the best sermon on this but God I just pray that you would take it and that you would help save lives that people would know you and that people would um, they would choose life today in Jesus name amen